Welcome back to Flushing is Burning. My name is Christian Romo. I am here with Grace Carbone. How are you doing, Grace? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Did you know that this past weekend marked an important anniversary in the history of the New York Mets? Uh, I do because I just read about it. I just spent about two weeks of my life reading a three 150-page book just to specifically nail on that moment, so yes. And this moment only happened in the course of 24 hours, but it is still relevant enough 21 years later. So uh, we did a retrospective about it. Let's take a listen. It was mid-May of the 2002 baseball season. The Mets had just come off a disappointing 2001, where they finished in third place in the NL East following their pennant-winning season in 2000. In the offseason, the team signed veterans Roberto Alomar, Jeremy Bernitz, and Mo Vaughn to help their struggling offense get them back into the playoffs. And though it would end up being a disaster of a season, things looked pretty good on the 20th. Mets had just won three out of four games in San Diego and sat in first place in the NL East, one game above the Florida Marlins. They had an off day and were traveling to Philadelphia to play the last place Phillies, hoping to build on their lead. Around that time, Mets manager Bobby Valentine gave an interview with the now-defunct Details magazine where he was asked if Major League Baseball was ready to accept an openly gay player. Valentine responded positively, saying, The players are a diverse enough group now that I think they could handle it. It was one of nine questions Valentine was asked for the story, which didn't even make the cover when it eventually got published. That issue of the magazine wouldn't come out for another month, but Valentine's quote somehow found its way to the New York Post that day. Specifically, it landed with gossip columnist Neil Travis, who used the quote as inspiration for a page six blind item. In the column, he wrote, There is a persistent rumor around town that one Mets star who spends a lot of time with pretty models and clubs is actually gay and has started to think about declaring his sexual orientation. Though Travis didn't publish a name, the public widely accepted the star player in question as Mike Piazza. For whatever reason, gay Piazza rumors had come up before in private circles, but once they got printed, the rumors became a public topic of conversation, especially around the league. Reportedly, both Valentine and Mets general manager Steve Phillips got very angry at Travis in the post. Phillips called the story quote-unquote reckless journalism, and Valentine called the story fucking horseshit. But no one responded louder than Piazza. The rumor was around for less than a day when Piazza and the Mets arrived at Veterans Stadium for a game against the Phillies, but the star catcher wanted to extinguish the rumor as quickly as possible. The team asked Newark Star-Ledger reporter David Waldstein to ask Piazza point-blank if he was gay while other reporters were around for their pre-game interviews. What followed wasn't exactly a scripted statement, but does seem a little more prepared than a usual pre-game answer. Here's Piazza's answer in full. I'm not gay. I'm heterosexual. I can't control what people think. I can say I'm heterosexual. I date women. That's pretty much it. I don't see a need to address it any further. I deny those rumors. I don't know how they got started. I don't know why. I don't know where. But obviously, these things do not apply to me at all. I can't control what people think. I can only say what I know and what the truth is, and that's that I'm heterosexual and I date women. That's it. End of story. It wasn't exactly efficient, but it got the point across, and newspapers ran with the story the next day. 
The Post dedicated its back page to Piazza with the headline, I'm not gay, and most local sports sections ran something similar. That was the end of the rumor for the most part, at least in official sources. ESPN's Page 2 made jokes at Piazza's expense for the next few weeks, as did David Letterman before the Mets' next series against the Marlins, but they mostly poked at the strangeness of the press conference instead of questioning Piazza's sexuality. As persistent as the rumor was for an entire day, that was the end of the media speculation of a Mets star's sexuality. Piazza revisits this affair in his 2013 autobiography Longshot in a lot more detail than most people expected. He writes about how much the rumors hurt his reputation and about how much the jokes hurt him and his family. Normal human stuff. But then it gets a little weird. In what can be analyzed as either a misplaced attempt at solidarity with the gay community or more likely an awkward display of machismo, Piazza claims that he wasn't hurt by the suspicion that he was gay, but by the insinuation that he was hiding his sexuality. He writes, I found it hugely insulting that people believed I'd go so far out of my way, living with playmates, vacationing with actresses, showing up at nightclubs, to act out a lifestyle that would amount to a charade. To punctuate it all, he writes, If I was gay, I'd be gay all the way. Whether that quote was included because Piazza sincerely feels that way, or because it was a juicy detail meant to sell books, it became the money quote, one that circulated with many reviews and think pieces when the book was released. And even though this two-day affair doesn't come close to the top 10 most interesting things that happened to Piazza in his baseball career, it's the thing that a lot of people remember this book for because of Piazza's insistence to address the situation. As an aside, I think Piazza's thoughts are sincere, and I also think he doesn't quite understand the ramifications of what he claims. There have been around 20,000 men who have played Major League Baseball, and of those 20,000, only three have ever come out publicly, none of whom doing so while actively playing. It's possible that MLB clubs have employed only three gay players in their history, but the odds of that are statistically unlikely. It's more likely that there have been a lot more gay players, and there's something about MLB's culture that discourages gay players from living their truth. Amongst such a hostile culture, would Piazza really have been the first actively gay player? There was a New York Post writer who lost their job in this mess, but it wasn't Travis. It was sports columnist Wallace Matthews who responded to Travis's piece by writing a column criticizing Travis and the Post for publishing the blind item. When the Post didn't publish the column the next morning, Matthews posted it on the still-active sportsjournalist.com forum, and the Post fired him that evening for insubordination. While a few people suffered from the fallout of the blind item, there may have been at least one positive outcome. In September of the following year, a sports columnist for the Boston Herald named Ed Gray came out of the closet in a column for the paper. Though I couldn't confirm this from any official source, I read in a couple of online forums that he was inspired to come out to his colleagues the previous year after Piazza's press conference, and then made it public through the paper a year later. The situation for queer figures in sports has improved tremendously since 2002, both in the media and on the field. For the first time, we've seen major American male team sport athletes that have come out as gay while actively playing, with Jason Collins, Robbie Rogers, Colin Martin, and Carl Nassib all actively playing in the NBA, MLS, and NFL while publicly out. But the same can't be said of Major League Baseball. In the 21 years since the Piazza rumors, only one Major League player has come out, TJ House last December. And even then, that came more than five years after House last pitched in a Major League game. This entire story got rolling with an innocuous question asked of Bobby Valentine during a seemingly uninteresting interview. 
Is the Major League Clubhouse ready for an openly gay player? Whether Valentine meant it when he said yes, and whether he was right or not, we have yet to find out for sure. So Grace, you were saying that you uh, have finished reading Mike Piazza's autobiography. What uh, what did you get from it that you might not have uh, understood before? So he goes into his own feelings on that on everything that happened with the the rumor and the fallout and stuff like that. I thought it was very. I I actually liked the book. Not to not to have an aside, but I thought the book was very interesting. I read David Wright's book a few years ago, and I thought that was boring as hell. This one was at least interesting. But a lot of what was interesting was in, like, the last 100 pages, because he hits that at, like, page 260 is when that happens, and it's about 340 pages long, so it's towards the end. Um, after that, he keeps bringing it up. Mm. Like, he'll, he'll keep bringing it up where he'll be like yeah 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 you know i really appreciated this that they didn't assume my sexual orientation like they did that one time or he'll be like <laughs> yeah and one time my my fiance was in the stands and she yelled at this guy for saying i was gay he kept going back to it and i don't know it was like in the book he very famously said you know if i was gay i'd be gay all the way whatever um i think it's hard to parse in text what his vibe was through that whole section, like really nailing down like the intricacies of what he felt. It obviously bothered him in, in, in a certain way. Um, the other vibe I got was it bothered his dad a hell of a lot that like, basically like he was like, Oh man, that sucks. And his dad was like foaming at the mouth. So should he actually, yes, be living a lie. There's probably a good reason for it other than just the baseball stuff. Yeah. Um, and props to Piazza for at least acknowledging how much it irked him. Like he he didn't say that like oh it didn't bother him and he just like went about his business. No, like he was very honest and forthright about how much he felt slighted, how much it hurt his family. I think that should be commendable. Um, and it's also not surprising considering Piazza's connections to the Lasorda family. Uh, every gay baseball player or presumptive gay baseball player connects to Tommy Lasorda in some way, episode two. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I it is so interesting to me that someone who seems as bulletproof as Mike Piazza, someone who had such a unique career trajectory coming from the literal bottom to the heights of Major League Baseball, and this is the thing that seems to stick with him the most, not the, you know, the, the World Series stuff, not the Roger Clemens stuff, not the PED suspicions. Like, this is the thing that does that. And that's what makes me very skeptical about him claiming that if he was gay, he wouldn't have a problem showing it. He wouldn't have a problem living that lifestyle because the insinuation is enough to make him kind of to to discomfort him to discomfort him enough where he spends a good amount of his autobiography where he should be celebrating you know his own accomplishments and his own wonderful baseball career this is the thing that people remember and this is the thing that sticks out and that's what's most interesting to me I, and i mean you bring up the ped thing having you know just read i literally finished the book today um the he talks about the ped thing and the tenor of it is is 
much different. I will say that the the Clemens stuff sort of has the same tone as the the gay rumors. The PED stuff, he basically like, and he goes into like everything that happened with that. It's actually it's genuinely again a very interesting book. Um, but that's just sort of like he's like, well, you know, that was gonna happen. All I can do is say I didn't do them. Like a very resigned tone in him being like, these guys did PEDs. I don't want to condone it, but also at the same time, they were great baseball players with or without it. Very very casual, lackadaisical, you know water off the back sort of thing the the roger clemens stuff and the gay stuff have like this tone of like it really bothered him and it bothered him for years up until the very i mean he historically has always had issues with robert roger clemens after all that stuff happened but the gay stuff also did really sort of stick with him all the way through and i mean this book came out in 2014 so there's about 10 years of of his life after that that we don't know how he felt about about it during that time period, if anything else changed, I'm going to guess by the way the book is written, because at that point the incident had been 10 years prior to the book's writing. Probably, again, he's still a little miffed about that. Um, I also found interesting, they go into the into the book a little bit, like the, the depth of those rumors that it wasn't just, oh, is he gay? Which was, it was really, it's a weird rumor that like, just to be born out of, uh, Bobby Valentine just saying like, yeah, I think we're ready for a gay baseball player. That that immediately started a rumor about him. Really weird that that was all it took. Um, but the rumor went into detail about like, and he might he's he's got a lover's nest with a local uh, TV anchor who's also closeted, which was Sam Champion. Um, it, just a really weird confluence of events that all took place because presumably just Bobby Valentine spoke off the cuff like. Bobby Valentine was want and is continuously want to do. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's the most tragic aspect of this scenario. The fact that like no one really had any malicious intent in the matter. Um, I, I mean, the New York post does what the New York post does and it's, you know, hundred percent malicious all the time, but like in the <laughs> end, it's, it's a, it's a gossip reporter doing his job. I, I can't hardly fault him for that. But to me, the biggest tragedy about this entire like fiasco is that it created such a buzz that it wouldn't surprise me if it completely disincentivizes any gay baseball player from even approaching the truth during their playing career because they saw or potentially they would have seen how the media how fans how the city how the league treated mike piazza a legitimate superstar literally the year before putting the city of New York on his back a week after 9-11. There was no bigger star at the time than Mike Piazza. And they treated him this way for suspicions. Like there, there wasn't, there, there weren't any crumbs on this trail. It was, it, it was just hearsay and rumors. And to me, that's, that's the part that sticks with me the most. The fact that like, if you are a gay baseball player at all in the last 20 years, you have to look at that event before deciding whether you're comfortable or not to to go through with living your truth. And as we can see, like, that, that just hasn't happened at all in the last 20 years. And I, I don't necessarily believe that like, this was the inciting event. But it, uh, it, it certainly has to come into people's minds when when they're deciding whether they can live closeted as a baseball player or not. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been 20 years since, since that whole thing happened with, with Piazza. And it's a it's been a long 20 years in terms of the progress that we've made with uh gay rights and, and acceptance and everything like that but 
it's also still baseball. And I don't think baseball has accelerated in that aspect the same way that general society has. And I don't think baseball fandom has. I mean, you've still got people at games yelling slurs out at players for no reason. I've been at a baseball game and I've heard people saying slurs. Like, it's just, it's still part of the culture of sports as terrible and toxic as that is that you know that moment wasn't the beginning of homophobia in baseball but it didn't help and i i think it's gonna i think that while that in and of itself isn't the reason why no one's coming out it's definitely something to look at and go this guy was getting the name of his you know gay lover they literally were chanting sam champion at him in the stands which is ridiculous there's there was like no actual no and then he was going into the, the the rumor kept going for some reason in the papers where it was like and then he beat up sam champion and he got arrested in philadelphia there's no record of that that never no. happened it, it's this lie upon lie upon lie that who knows where it actually did germinate what what the reasons were for any of that i mean he talks about his his behavior in there whatever Italian people are flamboyant. I mean, there's, you know, they could just look at him and be like, well, this guy's, you know, kind of whatever. It, this, this, this whole situation did nothing to help. And we've, we've talked about it before. There's been three players who have come out all after their career. That's it. And I don't see it hap- getting better anytime soon. No, 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 that is, that is the truth. And uh, events like this, Um, have impacts in the future. And when we come back from our break, we're going to talk about something a little more current that Major League Baseball is still struggling with. So stick with us. And we're back. Um, Christian, you're in LA. I know you go to a lot of Dodgers games, especially when they're playing the Mets. Um, And they were just currently in the news over the last week for the complete bungling and biffing of their private, uh, their pride night. Um, uh, yeah, this is the first Pride Night embarrassment. Hopefully it's the only one we see, um, but I, I have some doubts about that. Yeah, we've got to have at least one a year. No one's ripped a patch off their jersey yet this year, but who knows? If the Mets have a patch, Brooke, Brooks Raley is on the team. Things Yeesh. could get a little crazy. Yeesh. Um. So I'm admittedly, I've seen it over the, the you know, Twitter and seeing the news sort of disseminated. And I know that the initial inciting incident was the um, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which I believe, in, and I'm not super up with up to date with all of the um, the different machinations and parties here, but I believe that they're a group that does drag in in the vein of um, Christian imagery. Am yes. I right? Yes, they are a 501c3 organization. They raise money out of San Francisco. Um, these are people that have been dressing in nun-themed drag for the last 50 or so years. And yeah, they, they've been a staple of a lot of events in California, uh, mostly in Northern California. They occasionally come down to Southern California. And they were initially invited to the Dodgers Pride Night, and uh, there were a couple people that took exception to that. Yeah, I I know that the major one who took exception to that was um, famous Californian Marco Rubio. I mean, when you say Marco Rubio's name, you only associate him with California. He is as California as it gets. Yeah, uh, I saw him at the barbecue last (laughs) week. Um, he, He comes down every so often. No, this guy is the senior senator from the state of Florida. 
uh, 3,000 miles away, as far from Los Angeles as you could possibly get in the continental United States. So, uh, yeah, anything that he says uh, should probably be ignored. But, uh, yeah, the Dodgers didn't do that this time. And uh, it's it's extremely frustrating. And I, I, we did eventually see evidence that the complaints lobbied by Marco Rubio, as well as the Catholic League, uh, were not sent to the Dodgers. They were sent to Major League Baseball. And so it, it's led for some people to believe that the Dodgers did not come to the decision to disinvite the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence independent of their overlords. Uh, Major League Baseball itself may have had a hand in this. Uh, either way, this was a decision that did not go down well, at least on the social parts of the internet that you and I inhabit. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking thinking here about the MLB Marco Rubio uh, connection there. Marco Rubio's from his, he's the the senator in Florida, and MLB, if I'm remembering correctly, is attempting to lobby Florida lawmakers to allow them to pay minor mm. leaguers less than minimum wage. That seems like a, a good person to have on your good side if you're attempting to rob the players. I had not considered that possibility. That's a really good shout. Yeah, that just sprung to mind. I, I knew all the players in my head, but once that connection just made... I feel like that's probably not unrelated. No, no. And I, that's so interesting to me because like I initially thought that when this happened, this was a decision that the Dodgers made independently, not because they necessarily wanted to disinvite uh, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and thereby watering down the road pride event. But I suspected that they feared becoming the next target in this stupid culture war. And the fact is, like, I, I you say I've been to Dodger Stadium a lot. I, I go maybe a handful of times a year, and I've seen that place develop into Disneyland with all of the security that comes with a trip to Disneyland. And I suspect that the last thing that the Dodgers want is any sort of picketing or any sort of demonstration during their Pride Night because they announced that this was going to be the biggest MLB-related pride event in the history of the league. I don't know if that's going to happen anymore, but I do suspect that the Dodgers looked at what Marco Rubio was saying, what the Catholic League was saying, how much sway they have amongst the worst people in the country, and thought to themselves, this is probably the safe move. And it's cowardly, it's shitty, but I also kind of understand it. But then this whole like MLB situation comes in with uh, their lobbying to underpay minor leaguers in Florida. Like th there's there's a lot of of players in this mess. But uh, what what's what's come out at the end is the Dodgers look really, really bad through all of this. Yeah, I mean, I also saw that uh, L.A. Pride pulled out of the thing, which if you're having a pride night in L.A., kind of seems like antithetical to the whole situation to have the organization called LA Pride remove itself from your uh, from your night. Yeah, yeah, LA Pride is as big as their name insinuates. Like they operate the biggest pride events in Los Angeles. And because of that I I do have some issues with them. They've kind of turned West Hollywood's pride event into Coachella with all of the funds that it takes to attend Coachella. It's not necessarily a movement for the people. 
Um, but yeah, without LA Pride, you don't have a Pride event. And it, I don't know what this event is going to look like. I didn't have any intention of attending in the first place. Pride landed on a Mets game last year and it doesn't <laughs> this year. So that uh, honestly is the thing that uh, decided my uh, my role in all of this. Um, but ultimately, I, I think I have some conflicting feelings about this because I think that LA Pride pulling out of this event is the big news because that essentially castrates this event that that waters it down to something that is unrecognizable most likely and while i think that la pride made the right decision in solidarity with the spi i also suspect that this is something that marco rubio and the catholic league and all of the terrible people that support them wanted they want queerness to be extinguished from public spaces. They don't want queer people to celebrate their identities at sporting events. And this is this is something that's been going on for the last couple of years that does not signify progress. Uh, major league teams, it, it, it sort of sucks because like we can't really give them participation trophies for this. Like we can't say good effort. Like they kind of have to get this right because if they don't get it right, then really, really bad things happen and regression happens. And, and, and that's why that's like, it, it's so important for them to not only get this right, but to like follow through with what they think is the right thing to do. I, I know I'm not like making a whole, whole lot of, of sense right now. I'm just so conflicted about this entire thing. Like I would, I would much rather have the Dodgers host a pride event than not. But if they're not going to do it right, then maybe it's better that they just don't do it at all. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And I think that this year, particularly seeing everything that's happened in, in really it feels like the last calendar year, every single piece of, of fighting in this stupid culture war that we're stuck up in that's really just the argument between whether or not we view people as worthy of, of being treated like every other person just basically based on um who they love but more uh, how they how they identify it's one of those things that if it's not gonna go if it's not gonna support everyone then why are we supporting anyone at that point Mm. you know it's 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 a community it's the as much as there are some transphobes within our our community who would like to divorce the t it's you're not that's not gonna happen it's the lgbt Q no. plus community it, that they are a part of us and as soon as you start kicking one of us while we're down we're all gonna we're all gonna go defend our our fallen siblings and it's if you're gonna remove these drag queens simply because one senator and one catholic league that neither of which were a gonna attend or b we're gonna like no matter what you did for pride night as soon as you start kowtowing to them to try and get some you know, visible points in the, in the conservative culture war. At that point, you're just, you're turning it into a game. This isn't a game for people, for the people whose lives that this, this is about. It is not a game. Yeah. Um, I, I also am curious about like how you felt when, when you saw this, because I remember seeing initial reactions from a lot of left leaning cis baseball fans on Twitter that 
were understandably outraged by the decision that the Dodgers made and then tweeted through it. Then I see the reaction from a lot of queer fans, which was a lot more subdued, a lot less surprised, and a lot more resigned by the inevitability of this. I sort of felt similarly. I wasn't terribly surprised by any of this happening, and I was wondering if you felt similarly. Yeah, no, I mean... The news broke, and I think I was in the middle of something because I sort of came back and my Twitter was in shambles. Um, it's definitely, it's it's what you're describing. That's As soon as I figured out what was going on, it was definitely a lot of like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, not, uh, not in a good way, but like, no. yeah, that's exactly how I could have seen this situation playing out. That, that this one thing is going to piss off the right people, and then MLB as a, as a major conglomerate, and the Dodgers as a major business aren't aren't going to choose the controversial the controversial choice they're going to choose the easy way out that's the way it, it always is and it always will be until something changes whether it's people's minds or hearts or whatever it's it's not going to be you know you can't count on the organization worth billions of dollars to fight for the little guy because if they're worth a billion dollars they've probably kicked a lot of little guys down yeah, there, there is no corporation that is our ally. And that goes doubly for sports teams that have had sordid histories with homophobia, especially the Dodgers. The Dodgers have a commendable track history with a lot of social movements, just not this one. And, and that's, that's the thing that like makes this especially frustrating, knowing how poorly the organization has treated uh, its, its players and now its fans. Yeah, uh, if, if you didn't know already that the Dodgers are not your ally, then here you go. Here's your evidence. No sports team is your ally, the Dodgers especially. Just because a corporation colors their logo in the rainbow color during June does not mean they are on your side. It means that they see a way to make a little bit extra money in a month. Um, I don't know about you, Christian. I feel like we've really reached the point of the conversation where if we keep going, I'm going to get really sad. Um, uh, yep, same. <laughs> so why don't we take a break? And we'll come back and hopefully have a little bit of a lighter conversation. Grace, how does it feel to go viral? Oh, my God. I, I was at that Rays game. And I left and I got like within 30 minutes of home and, you know, my dad's driving. I'm like, hee hee, that's so funny. Let me, that was this funny thought. Let me tweet that out. And then my phone was unusable for a day. I literally, it was just like, bing, 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 bing. And the same thing happened last year when I, when I wrote that Pride Night article. But that at least I was like, oh, that's nice. This one was like, why did this stupid thought I had at like six o'clock at night after like getting like sun tired and a little delirious? Why is that what went viral? And you know, most everyone was great. I'm I'm not gonna say like it got great replies. Obviously, ton of likes. That tweet was viewed like I, I tweeted out for those who may not have seen it. Um, it's a it's the video from the end of the Mets uh, third game, the series win against the Rays, where Pete's in the huddle with the other infielders and he jerks his crotch into the rest of them. And I tweeted out, uh, let me find the actual tweet because I don't want to misquote myself and make myself very angry at me. Um, where is it? This is fascinating to radio. Uh, the Mets are countering Brooks Raley's homophobia by having the gayest celebrations you've ever fucking seen. 
Um, and, you know, blew up. I don't know why. And blew up in, like, you know, quotes. It got, like, 600 likes. Seen 50,000 times, but only 600 likes. Great ratio. Um, most of, most of it was, like, fine, other than just, like, being a lot that I wasn't expecting. There was one guy in my replies who, like, people were fighting with him where he's, like, being, like, you know, Brooks Raley is a man of faith. And duh, duh. and so, where is he? He goes, so at one point he goes, you know, they're fighting or whatever. And he goes, or perhaps he's a person of faith who answers to a higher authority and acts accordingly. And I'm at this point, I'm sick and tired of this conversation happening in my mentions. And I say, get permanently lost, bozo. And that's when he called me a fascist. So that was the actual most fun because I thought that was hilarious. I say, oh, no. get lost. And apparently I'm a fascist because as we all know, that was the famous Hitler quote. Was he said, get lost. Yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> y- you live my biggest fear. I don't I don't <laughs> ever want to go viral for any reason on Twitter or otherwise. I think you handled it with a, a lot of poise. And I was also very heartened by the, the overwhelmingly positive reaction to it. Now, I, I say viral. To me, anything above five likes is viral <laughs> because I no one reads any of my sparing tweets. But um, I, I thought it was it, it was really fun to see like this joyous celebration that has only amplified with Pete Alonso's rocket to the MVP race. Um, but yeah, this was super fun to see, super fun to develop. I'm I'm so happy that something this stupid got so much attention. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's that man, Pilonzo sure is horny for the game of baseball, and you gotta love him for it. You do, you do. By the way, a whole lot of Mets things happened this past week. We don't have that much time to get through all of them, so we're going to do a quick lightning round. Let's keep our thoughts to like a minute or less on all of this. Jason Kipnis went on someone's show or podcast and said that the Mets have all of those veterans and no leadership. By the way, the Mets rattled off five wins in a row after that. What are your <laughs> thoughts on Jason Kipnis's thoughts? Um, To quote a famous fascist, I know, get permanently lost, bozo. Yes. Lindor, um, Lindor's a leader. Like, I'm sorry. You see the way he handles himself, the way he interacts with his teammates. That guy is, is a leader. And just because Jason Kipnis knew him when he was like 22 years old and hadn't yet become the Francisco Lindor we all know and truly love does not mean he's not a leader. You're not in that clubhouse, Bozo. Get out of here. Uh, to be fair, Kipnis has apologized for those remarks only after Lindor's wife called him out yeah. on it. Um, <laughs> but I-, I would just like to say that I think winning is the best leadership. You don't really need leaders if your team is winning. And uh, that's kind of what's happening. Uh, Pete Alonso is hitting a whole lot of home runs and he's thrusting everything he can get his hands on. What are your thoughts? Listen, I love it. Baseball needs everything should be like 10% hornier. I think we'd be a happier society for it. So I love to see this man humping the railing of the dugout. Yeah, anything that turns into (laughs) professional wrestling is good for me. Uh, Francisco Lindor has crowned the three rookies the baby Mets. Thoughts? They're our baby Mets, damn it. And I love them all. It sounds like baby Looney Tunes (laughs) almost. Like, I, I want, I want theming around this i want a television show i think this is uh something that's going to stick there has been a lot of talk about uh francisco alvarez going down to triple a despite him hitting very well over the past couple of weeks what are your thoughts 
do we actually think Gary Sanchez is worth all of this? Like, has he been worth this for, like, the last three years of his career? Come on, this guy... This guy was batting 176 in AAA for the Giants three weeks ago, but now we can't possibly lose the Kraken? Yeah. uh, (laughs) They they must really not like Michael Bettis if they're trying to, like, take a flyer on Gary Sanchez and threatening to send down Alvarez because of this. Because, like... If if the catching depth is so bad that like two games of Michael Bettis just throws the entire front office into a hissy fit, then yeah, there, I think there's something else going on here. But uh, yeah, let's let's hope that doesn't happen. Justin Verlander looks like an ace. I, I don't know if there's anything more to add to that, but do you have any thoughts? It's just so cool that they have Justin Verlander. Like he we went out there in the black jersey on Sunday night. Which like did he choose that? Because they usually only do it for Fridays. They went out there Sunday night with the black jerseys. If anyone can. He looks so awesome in them. I want one now. Yeah. Uh, if anyone can, <laughs> then then he certainly can. Um, I, I think I said a couple weeks ago that Justin Verlander wasn't going to fix the starting rotation. He he might have. So that that's good for him. He's a Hall of Famer for a reason. Uh, Steve Cohen is reportedly financially backing Chris Christie's presidential campaign for 2024. Do we have thoughts about this? I mean... Maybe I mean, isn't Chris Christie one of like his Met advisors? I guess he wanted to make sure that if he gave him money, he wouldn't cause Shea Bridgegate. Does did Chris Christie need to tell anyone this? Like, <laughs> just Steve Cohen's gonna give you a lot of money. Just accept it. Be quiet about it. I don't. Know. I mean, I anyway. guess he's just like bragging. <laughs> yeah, could be that. Uh, you can spend more than a minute on this if you want, but uh, the Libs open their season. Thoughts. Uh, first game went about, listen, I was hoping they'd beat the Mystics, but they got like one and a half days of all three of those main acquisitions over the off season playing together in the preseason and then played a game. So it didn't look great. The first game, the second game, however, the home opener, <laughs> holy shit. Brianna Stewart just casually dropping 45, which I don't know if they realized how close she was to the single game scoring record in the entire league. Cause she was, she was nine, eight. She was, if she had scored three more three points, she would have beaten the record. The record's 53 and she was at 45 and then they just didn't, I mean, they didn't need to play her in the fourth quarter, but like, let her go out there and get the record at that point. You got 10 minutes for her to make, score nine points. Just let her do it. But regardless of that, she broke the single season, the single game record for the Liberty in her first game with the Liberty. And the place was rocking. Um, I don't think she's ever leaving. Like, and I don't, you know, I don't want to get to like the whole like, oh, sentimental things because sports doesn't work like that. That's just how my brain works. But like, it genuinely really feels like she's just like, this is it. Like she's here now forever, which is really cool because she is one of, if not the greatest women's basketball player of all time, at least at this point. Like you go to her Wikipedia page and the list of achievements is so long that it almost doesn't fit on the page. Like you have to kind of cut off the Olympic medals so that way you can fit all those achievements on there. And she's 28 years old. She's insane. And then you've got Sabrina Ionescu getting like the low key triple double. Like, I'm sorry, 988. You're there. That's it. You got like you got it. The only reason why you didn't score more points was just because Brianna Stewart was taken up all the time, which no complaints. Um, it was just they looked they looked great. They were the the ball movement was so spectacular. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. It was it was fantastic. Two games in Brianna Stewart MVP. 
Uh, the Liberty are one and one at 500. You know who's above 500 right now? Mm? The New York Mets. That is true. What, currently, one game? Two uh, games? Two games above 500 and currently in the third wildcard spot. There we go. Upwards and onwards. Yep. Uh, Grace, you got a movie for us? Um, yeah, so I didn't watch a lot of movies this week, which is surprising for me, but I, I worked a couple of days this week. I've went to a Mets game. I've spent a lot of time out of the house. Um, so I'm gonna do kind of like a, uh, like a, a recommendation I assume most people have seen, but I saw it again in the theater this week and it made me cry because I love this movie so much. I went and saw for the 45th anniversary Grease. Um, mm. which was a movie I was obsessed with as a kid. Like when I was seven, you know how like when you're like seven years old, you get that one movie and you watch about 150 times. Right. That was Grease. It was literally, I got the VHS from the library. I would, you could renew it three times. So you get like a two week rental. So I'd have it for six weeks. A- every day I come home from school, put it in there, watch it, rewind it, watch it, rewind it, watch it. Do that about three times a day. And then we get to the end of the six week period. We, my parents took the tape back to the library. They went, we're returning this, but only so it won't be overdue. And then we want to immediately take it out again. So that was pretty much my, I was, I dressed as Danny Zuko in first grade for Halloween. I love this movie so much. And the joy of, I, I love musicals in general. So the joy of watching a musical on the big screen is something so special to me. But that specific musical, I was singing and dancing in my seat. It got to the end. And Olivia Newton-John's in the car and she's waving goodbye and I'm crying because I miss her. I love her. It, it's just, it was it was like, a, it's like, every time I see that on the big screen, it sounds ridiculous. It was like a religious experience. Long live Olivia Newton-John. My Grease connection is the actor who played Sonny Lattieri, one of the T-Birds. Michael Tucci was my high school theater coach. Uh, He was a very interesting teacher, just as big a personality uh, on stage and in film uh, as he was in the classroom. Uh, That's all I got because I've seen Grease once and it was a long time (laughs) ago. So I, I don't know how much I can comment on this. Yeah, it's now's the perfect time to just go watch it again i it's i've been blasting the soundtrack in the car and singing along it's just the perfect it's so good i know it's not genuinely a perfectly made film but it's perfect it's like the five star three and a half star movie you know like it's just the best at being exactly what it is wait so is it a five star movie or is it a three and a half star movie i give it a five star but I'm saying generally, like, if I were to objectively look at this movie, it's a three and a half out of five. But it's so good at being the best version of that kind of movie it can be. It's a five-star movie. Long live Olivia Newton-John, I guess. <laughs> All right. Uh, that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. Grace, did you have any parting thoughts? Um... I hope the Liberty win again this week, and I hope they never lose again. I hope they go 39-1. and one. Yep, Sounds good with me. <laughs> All right, see you, everyone. Bye.